supporting independent programming, this is your chance to make sure that we still have it alive and well right here in New York. 516-620-3602 only takes a couple of minutes. In fact, you can just do it right online. Go to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. This is listener-supported WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. Welcome back to today's special edition of Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. I'm Jeff Simmons, and I'm glad to now be in studio joining the amazing Celeste Katz, who was stellar in this past hour. I miss you. I'm glad to see you here. You look nice today. I know it's a little hard to see on the radio, but Jeff looks very nice today. It's the it's vest weather. Oh, is that what it is? Well, Jeff, I am glad you are here because you can help me out because we were talking about one of the books that I was sharing with our listeners, uh, Divided Politics, Divided Nation by uh, Daryl West. But you had brought in a very cool book that we are offering to our listeners if they help us out here at WBAI with a pledge. And you know I love this book because we had the authors on a few weeks ago. Uh, the book is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm listening uh, and it's by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland they're the hosts of the popular podcast Pantsuit Politics one's from the left one's from the right they don't always agree or let me put it this way they don't always have the same views politically but they found common ground and how they can have uh, uh, discussions that don't erupt into anger and fire you know Uh, And so the book is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. And because we are, uh, you know, we're in our fundraising drive, we are encouraging you at home. If you want to know how you can have these discussions with others you don't agree with at the dinner table or when you're, uh, you know, when you're out uh, with friends who might not be uh, of the same political bent as you, uh, you can receive this book by calling and making a contribution today of just fifty dollars. They've uh, supplied us with a few books, and they're just wonderful. Call five one six six two zero three six zero two. Give the name of driving forces that you're making a contribution uh, uh, in honor of our show, and you will receive a copy of this book. Again, it's five one six six two zero three six zero two, or text WBAI to four one four four four. Um, or just go online to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. Absolutely. So that was, and that was a good show, by the way. I thought that was very interesting because, and it also fits in very nicely with what we were talking about with Professor West, which is, you know, sometimes even with your own, even with your own family, people don't always agree. And he had a very interesting story about having, uh, you know, his two sisters where he grew up in Ohio. They are still very conservative. They grew up in a a fundamentalist Christian household. But then his brother uh, is gay, is very liberal. And, you know, the brothers and the sisters in this family do not see things the same way, but they manage to work it out. And we should bring this up when we get to our final guests in the second uh, second half hour of this show, because when I was reading about uh, the uh, presidential candidate, Eric 
Eric Swalwell, I noticed that one thing, that he comes from a Republican family, and he's a Democrat, and that his parents have a Trump-Pence magnet on their refrigerator. Whoa. So we need to ask how these conversations go in his household. Yeah, that is uh, that is a good point, actually, because, look, I've, and I've worked around people, um, and I've been around people who said, look, I don't know a single person who voted for Donald Trump. Okay, you know, this is New York. This is a, a pretty liberal, if you're if you're within the sound of my voice, at least here in the tri-state area, uh, you know, pretty, pretty liberal politics generally. But I'm like, come on, you know, somebody, somebody who voted for Donald Trump, maybe your you know, a cousin or, or an uncle, somebody you went to school with. And this guy says to me, I don't know a single person. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, maybe you need to get out more because I don't think that you don't have to agree with the people on the other side of the argument. But at the same time, uh, you know, living in that bubble, in that silo, I don't think is, that ain't it, Chief. That, that's not the answer. <laughs> that is not the answer. That is not the answer, you know, and, and what we've tried to do here, Chief, you know. But um, at WBAI, one thing we do try to do, and some listeners like it and some don't, but we get a lot of calls, is we try to bring in people of different viewpoints. And we challenge them. They let We let them challenge us, and it's really great. And I also like that we regularly bring in journalists who can give us their perspective when they, you know, you like you, Celeste. Uh, who, no, but who, who really know what's going on behind the scenes? And that right. you know, brings us to our first guest in this hour. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is a, a great time to be talking, obviously, about uh, American politics. So we are going to jump over to our next guest. Just remember, I want to give you that number one more time. We'd love to see, uh, we'd love to see the board lighting up. 516-620-3602 to help us out. Or just go to WBAI.org. You can even just text WBAI to 41444 on your smartphone. Please give as generously as you can. Support independent, non-commercial, non-corporate radio programming. So uh, this is an incredible time to be talking about American politics, and there's no shortage of people who would like to see Donald Trump knocked out of the White House in 2020. One of them might just be our mayor, Bill de Blasio. So here to talk about this right now is Anna Sanders. Anna is a City Hall reporter for the New York Daily News, and she previously covered politics for the New York Post, the Staten Island Advance, and Metro New York. Anna, welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks so much for having me. So you've been reporting a lot. I know uh, you have some good, uh, some interesting stories to tell today on another topic we'll get to. But uh, you've also been reporting a lot on Mayor de Blasio and whether he'll run for president. Give our listeners the thumbnail picture of what's going on with that right now. So as of last week, it was pretty clear that they were moving towards an announcement, potentially even this week, as the mayor turned 58 yesterday. But over the weekend, there was a lot of backlash to uh, the idea that he might be announcing. And as of Monday, he said that he still hasn't made a decision, although that is a little bit questionable, given that he has a fundraising arm and several of his city hall staffers have moved over to a PAC that he has set up to kind of run this uh, fledging campaign. And I think right now the, the top line is that, uh, you know, Mayor Bill de Blasio is known for being tardy, and uh, this is another great example of it. He would be joining an already crowded field with numerous other white male politicians like himself, and I think he, he like a lot of other Democrats, see, you know, uh, Mayor Pete and other folks with a 
less executive experience than they might have and think, well, I can do this. And I think de Blasio has always felt that he had the right voice and the right message for a national audience. But uh, he has not, you know, officially launched. He's kind of, you know, danced around this for several months. And I think he's come to the point where he's really going to have to actually make a decision. And, you know, the understanding was last week that he had. But I think that he changes his mind constantly. So that's something that we can definitely expect going forward. And that's that's interesting. And Jeff and I, of course, were at the um, the Inner Circle show uh, recently, the the uh, charity event where uh, the press and uh, the government essentially poke fun at each other. And, and one of the memorable lines was about uh, Mayor de Blasio potentially declaring his candidacy for president. And somebody said, what's your slogan going to be, man? Make America late again? You know, this whole idea about just, you know, not not uh, quite on time every time. But you know, the bigger picture. You got into this a little bit, but but tell us more. Tell us more. I mean, what is what? Why does Bill De Blasio think that he can be president of the United States? We know that he has experience. He was involved uh, with the Clintons, with campaigning. He does have some experience in the federal government. He worked for HUD and so on. But even a guy like Mike Bloomberg, who is mayor for three terms, that's a that's another show, mm-hmm. you know, and has a bunch of money <laughs> and has a ton of international experience, is just like, nah, you know what? I'm 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 gonna skip this one. Why does Bill De Blasio think he's the guy for this job? I think that there is something to be said about the mayor of a city like New York, the largest city in the country, being prepared to be the chief executive over the entire country. It's probably one of the few jobs that can actually prepare you for the nitty gritties of running uh, numerous federal infrastructure and uh, administration. But I think for de Blasio, he has always seen himself as this person who can help people and help bridge the gap between poor people and rich people and end, as he would say numerous times, I'm sure you remember in 2013, and the tale of two cities. And I think that he does have a lot of things he can point to that he's done that have been successful. And chief among them is the rollout of pre-K. They like to say that uh, the amount of kids that were enrolled in the first year is actually greater than the population of South Bend, Indiana, which is significant. But Mm -hmm. I, I do think that there is some hubris involved here because, you know, most politicians believe that they could be president. And I think that part of the reason why you're seeing so many folks like de Blasio jump in is if Donald Trump can do it, why not them? And, you know, with de Blasio, he has been hounded by the press and advocates for years over handling of NYCHA, over some investigations. And I think he has become a little bit deflated in his job as running the city. I don't think he enjoys it as much as you should if you're being mayor. Um, And people who follow him on the campaign trail see that, you know, he lights up when he's stumping in Las Vegas, which you'd think that he would feel the same enthusiasm for, you know, New York City, but he just has lost some of the spark that you saw in 2013. And I think that, you know, even he would admit that privately, like, Being mayor of New York City is really tough, and I think that it can often be pretty thankless, and I think that he really wants a bigger platform, and we saw that when he was trying to create, you know, a debate 
um, and he denied Hillary Clinton the endorsement for about five months in 2015, and it was very awkward, but he was trying to, like, push her left, supposedly, and it ended up, you know, making him look a little foolish because when he did endorse her, it was included, like, towards the bottom of a press release that included a bunch of other mayors who were endorsing her. So he didn't exactly get the fanfare that he had wanted. So I think that there is a lot to be said about him feeling like he has a good message. And I I think that there are a lot of people who would believe that message. But with a field like this, there are already people with similar messaging Mm -hmm. who have done similar things, none of whom have you know, managed New York City, which is an enormous metropolis. But I don't know. I think that a lot of it comes down to why not me? And it's also interesting to see the people that you are, as a candidate, surround yourself with. And here in New York City, I mean, a lot of the Democratic strategists that are familiar to us uh, here in the city or around the country are already signed up with other presidential campaigns. Do you think he's waited too long to do this with a strong team if he's going to do it at all? I think so. I think that, well, I mean, who knows? Donald Trump became president, and a lot of people didn't think he would be. So (laughs) it's possible everything could turn around. But I do think the fact is a lot of his, you know, people are working for other people now in the race already. And it would be difficult for him to scrap together a robust campaign at this point just because the talent isn't necessarily out there anymore. I mean, it's always possible someone could defect and work for him. But given the fact that we don't know if he's even qualified for the first debates yet, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he has a path towards victory in the same way that I think he would want to. And if you're just joining us, this is a special edition of Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz here talking to Anna Sanders of the New York Daily News about Bill de Blasio for president 2020, question mark? And... One thing I wanted to ask you about, Anna, is that uh, you see this sometimes with other candidates, uh, or I've noticed it in the past, people write about this, that sometimes people say, oh, you know, that's interesting. Say, like, I don't know, just randomly say, oh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, she sounds like a really interesting guy. Beto O'Rourke sounds like a really interesting person or, or something like this. But then the people where they actually live, their own constituents, are like, eh. And uh, that might have even been true with uh, people who actually won the presidency. So I'm curious to know what you are hearing from people here in the city who actually live in de Blasio's New York. Most people that we've spoken to who are, you know, regular folks don't want him to run. I think that a lot of people see some of his failures at managing certain you know, fairly important things in New York City, specifically the housing authority, which lied for years about lead paint inspections and allowed hundreds of kids to go unreported as having elevated lead levels. And I think that that's an example of, you know, why do you think you can run the country if you're having a hard time running a city? And I think that, you know, Part of the reason why de Blasio will face a tougher audience nationally, you know, among, you know, the New York, uh, not 
not just in New York, but the political class, like in Washington and, you know, headquartered in New York, is that a lot of people who are in those industries, the media industry and politics, they're very familiar with de Blasio's issues because for years he has kind of fumbled around certain things like several investigations into his fundraising. And, you know, on the lighter side, he drives to the gym and that's a more trivial trivial um, complaint but I think that because he has such a prominent position it almost comes back to bite him in the butt because he has such like a robust press corps following him that everything is scrutinized and that's not necessarily the case for someone who's the mayor of a small town in Indiana I mean there's going to be like a local paper who will point out you know such and such but in New York City the local paper is the New York Times or even like the New York Post is widely read, and there's another a lot one. Of the media there's another one, right? Oh yeah, the Daily <laughs> News and the Wall Street Journal, the Big Four. But I mean, I, the sense, what I'm trying to get at is that there's so many media executives who will be covering at media types and personalities and such who will be covering this race, living in New York, that he can't really escape because for years these folks have been reading about how he was late to a plane crash memorial or you know he gets booed at something i mean a lot of this stuff is very trivial but there's also some serious like allegations of misconduct in terms of his fundraising that dogged him for over a year and prosecutors even said that he did favors for donors but that he was given bad legal advice like that's not a good position to be in if you want to be president, especially if you're running against someone like Donald Trump, who has his own ethical questions. I think that it's such a large field that you really can't have those types of things hanging over your head. And because de Blasio is entering the race so late, or would be, he doesn't have that grace period where people are writing about his family or his upbringing. And the fact is, all of those stories have been told numerous times, because when you're running for mayor of New York, you get that kind of, you know, softer coverage during those local races. And I think he might have a harder time just because people are going to want more specifics from him because, you know, he didn't announce two months ago and have this like, you know, wave of coverage the way that uh, the Mayor Pete, uh, whose last name I have difficulty pronouncing, um, uh, the way he got, you know, like a a shoot in vogue. I don't see that happening to de Blasio if he announced, which seems a little unfair given his, the city he runs is enormous and way more complex and has a lot more issues. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no question that running New York, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we our our economy is bigger than that of, of mm-hmm. uh, you know, some states, some probably some countries, uh, if you think about it. And uh, I just wonder sometimes if we are, if people are like, oh, this De Blasio guy, well, he runs New York City, he must be accomplished, and you know, they see him, you know, he's the guy who won the the mayoralty of New York, and I'm remembering him. This is, you know, Jeff and I, of course, are both uh, Daily Newsmen going way back. I remember yeah. him as the guy who lost the speaker's race once. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mayor, if you're listening to this. Um, I remember him running for public advocate. I covered that race, and there were some questions I asked him that he did not particularly seem to care for. 
but uh, you know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> as you say that uh, there really is no no way to uh, to get around it when you are being covered by the New York City Press Corps. And, yeah, absolutely. And, but, um, he, but he seems to be really open to questions. He seems really cool with the reporters, right? <laughs> loves it? Um, not necessarily. I think certain, he has good days and bad days, as do all of us. And I think that there are moments where he can get a little testy with reporters. And I think one of his struggles um, as a politician is that he doesn't necessarily understand that when he is... Uh, a little bit testy with reporters in response to a question he doesn't like. The cameras are rolling, and that's how you know viewers at home will see him on the nightly news. So his approval rating is not that great, and I think it's because a lot of people, you know, read a lot of unflattering things. And obviously, like the mayor of New York City, always gets skewered by the New York City press corps. Bloomberg was too, maybe not in quite the same way as De Blasio, you know, for idealistic. Uh, for political reasons, you know, particularly with the New York Post. But I do think that, you know, he will have a harder time because he doesn't really have anywhere to hide. There's been five years of hit, of coverage of him. And I think that one of the things that he, you know, I don't know if he understands this, but he, he doesn't seem to, you know, express this when he's talking about potentially running. Running for mayor of New York City is not the same as running for president. And the fact is, the primary that he won almost resulted in a runoff, and it was one of the lowest uh, voter turnouts in 2013 ever. And then when he was reelected by a vast majority, it was, again, very low turnout. His his opponent was an assemblywoman from Staten Island who, you know, didn't get a lot of traction, and it was very easy for him to win in comparison with uh, something as vast as a presidential run absolutely and i don't want to i don't want to take anything away from uh from the de blasio campaign for uh for that victory hey, yeah i mean they, but look they, you, know, you can always look back behind, and right? and wonder yeah. well yeah. yeah well that was a very that was a really weird election frankly uh mm-hmm. you know if anthony weiner hadn't uh imploded yeah that um <laughs> You know, maybe things would have been completely different, but he was able to, uh, his team was able to to run with that sort of outer borough playbook and uh, really, really smooth transition there to uh, to appealing to those voters. So not saying he didn't run a smart race, but as you say, yeah, there are some marginal differences between running for mayor of New York and running for president of the United States. So, Anna... Yeah. And I know we've only got a few minutes left, and I do want to ask about this because I mentioned this at the outset of your interview that uh, you've been in the thick of things, and you broke another story about Ruben Diaz Senior in the last uh, in the last day about his uh, uh, comments that he would uh, not report or not rat out any uh, sexual harassers. But what has happened in the 24 hours? I'll put it that way since this broke, because you know I, I don't know if he was pushing back or you know, and I saw in your tweets that you had recorded. Uh, I guess the conversation with him, uh, do I have this yeah. right? Yeah, I um, I called him before the story published, obviously, yesterday, and we had about a 10-minute phone call, and during that phone call, he told me that sometimes, quote, sexual harassment is a compliment, end quote, and then he also proceeded to ask me if I was a woman and then kind of run through a scenario where someone complimented me in an elevator and that he would not know if that was 
if I was uncomfortable about it and he wouldn't report something like that. And I mean, I don't think I misrepresented anything. If, if anything, I think that, uh, a lot of council members were very disturbed by what happened. He, you know, said he would wouldn't rat rat people out during what was supposed to be a sex, uh, a harassment training to tell them how to deal with these situations. And actually, just in the last hour, he um, he uh, put out a statement um, basically saying that there was a a coordinated campaign against him. You know, distorting facts, which I don't agree with. Um, and coordinated by was, who? I, I mean, he said that he said, obviously, that the city council is um, run by homosexuals. So maybe he's saying that the homosexual community that runs the city council is coordinating this campaign. I can't go into his head. I have no idea what he meant by that. Um, well, when I think but, of when know, I think of strangers to controversy, the name Ruben Diaz Sr. doesn't come up terribly <laughs> high on the list. So uh, yeah. that may not be totally surprising. But uh, what, what, what do you think is his next act? I don't think well he's he's running for congress so i don't know how successful that would be i'm not really familiar with the, the district or even the playing field at this point um but i do think that he's going to keep on keeping on you know i mean <laughs> that's just his thing like he says things that really offend a lot of people and then nothing really happens you know so i <laughs> i don't know if 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 he will ever, you know, you know, say like I was wrong, but uh, what he has put out today essentially was saying that he was misrepresented and that he wouldn't report um, sexual harassment if he sees someone giving a compliment to quote a lady or a man, and he said that he wouldn't report if his colleagues compliment him on how he, good he looks in his cowboy hat. So I think. I don't think he's taking what he said as seriously as um, a lot of other victims and just, you know, people who you know, really believe harassment's an issue would take it. Anna Sanders, thank you so much for joining us today. As uh, uh, for our listeners, how can people uh, learn more about you and follow your stories? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Anna E. Sanders. Uh, I also have a website, uh, AnnaSandersReporter.com. Oh, oh, it's not as good as my Twitter. I will say that. Um, and I welcome new followers at any point. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Well, so that was an interesting. Started out with a discussion of uh, of Bill De Blasio for president question mark, and ended up with a discussion about Ruben Diaz Senior for. Yeah. Oh, I, but, but I also wanted to mention, uh, I'll let our listeners know, because we were just having the discussion about de Blasio, that yeah. one of our two guests for next week will be Charlene McRae, the First Lady of New York. So we will be able to talk a little about the political aspirations of her husband at that point. That may be, that, if he announces, that might be exceptionally, exceptionally well-timed. See, you know, I think, you know... We think ahead here at WBAI. <laughs> we really do. We really do. Uh, I've been working forces. on June. See? Oh, I know. <laughs> Just God, you want to talk about a, a dedicated person when it comes to radio. Jeff Simmons <laughs> of Driving Forces and, and I might add, of City Watch. Uh, 
tireless effort here uh, and uh, tirelessly fundraising as well here to keep us on the air, to keep us going with all the good programming we have. Uh, give them a break, 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. That is the way to, uh, to donate. We are uh, hoping to raise $1,200 in this hour. This is a, a special edition of Driving Forces. 516-620-3602. You can even become a WBAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces. Become a recurring member. It's very easy to do. All you have to do is uh, get in touch with us at 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org. It is easy. It is quick. It is secure. And it means a lot to us here. Uh, all of us are, are very, very much intent on giving you the independent non-corporate, non-commercial radio experience that uh, WBAI has always offered. And we would like you to, uh, to be part of that. Please join us in, uh, in keeping all this programming on the air. So the other guest we're going to have next week, by the way, will be the new City University Chancellor, uh, uh, Chancellor Matos, uh, Felix Matos Rodriguez, is also going to talk to us about, uh, he just made some appointments, including, I think, uh, one of his key appointments was a woman, maybe you overlap with her, Maite Hunko? Ah, yeah, Over yeah. The Daily News. From the Daily News, originally from the Daily News. Yeah. This is going. This is going back quite a ways. I think she's been in uh, involved in government for quite some time. But I do remember her certainly as an editor at the uh, at the Daily News. Well, you were at the Daily News for a while, Jeff. That was uh, that's going back a little. It was. Yeah, it was brief. Yeah, it was another century. Very uh, it was very brief. I was at the Post, then the News, and then moved over to New York One before right. going to government. And then the uh, some of what you guys were touching on. I was working for Bill Thompson. When he ran against Bloomberg and then uh, uh, volunteering a bit when he ran against uh, Bill de Blasio. And but of <laughs> that course, was that that was that uh, that margin that Anna was just talking about a little while ago when, you know, uh, could have been a runoff. Well, and out of all those outlets that you've talked about, uh, your favorite, of course, obviously, WBAI New York. Right. Yes. Why do you tell me? And if you, we are, we actually have a very, very special guest coming up shortly here. Speaking of uh, the presidential race uh, or the race for the Democratic nomination for president, and this is going to be part of what we hope to be a series of candidates that we're going to be able to host here. But uh, I mentioned earlier in the program that uh, I had to thank you personally, actually for uh, bringing me into WBAI, and this has been uh, a really, really great experience. It's been really great to uh, share this with the reader, the readers. Yeah, see, I'm still not used to it. The <laughs> listeners, the listeners, and uh, hear people's calls. And I, I frankly, I love it when people call in and say, look, I support WBAI. I'm a BAI buddy. I've been listening to the station since I was a kid. I used to have a show. A lot of our guests have said I was a WBAI host myself. And it's just really nice to see that continuation of, of how important that's, this is. That's right. When we had uh, uh, city former city council speaker Melissa Mark Viverito on, and it turned out she had been part of the WBAI family years ago, too. I didn't know that when we booked her. That was wonderful to be able to bring that up. And, you know, she she really talked about what she enjoyed about the station. And if, uh, you know, if you think about how many hours a week, if you're listening, if you have BAI on in your homes or in your office, how many hours a week you're listening to it and you're hearing all of the diverse voices, whether it's Joy of Resistance or, or the hosts of Justice Matters advocating for justice, uh, Democracy Now!, 
um, you know, think about the quality of the programming and you know, and why you tune in to WBAI. And if and if it makes a difference in your lives, uh, please call and pledge at five one six six two zero three six zero two. As we mentioned at the outset of the show, also if you do call today and make a, just a fifty dollar donation, you can receive a copy of a of a book called "I Think You're Wrong But I'm Listening" by uh, uh, the hosts of the Pantsuit Politics podcast, Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland. And uh, you can also, uh, for uh, for uh, your generous gift, we'd be happy to send you as well uh, a copy of uh, Divided Politics, Divided Nation by Daryl West of the Brookings Institution. This is a, a memoir that he's written that talks a lot about what he calls hyper-conflict in the Trump era. And he looks at it through the lens of not only national politics and policy, but of his own family. And uh, it is uh, a, a fascinating memoir for a gift of $60, or over the course of our pledge drive, that's $2 a day, two bucks a day, that's what, like two sodas, bag of chips. You can uh, help us out. You can have an autographed copy of this book, which I am not kidding, is an excellent, excellent read. And I was listening to your interview uh, on the way over to the studio, and yeah. uh, he talked about even the differences in his family, which was so amusing to hear this. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's a it's an incredible time, as we mentioned, to be talking about uh, politics. So you are listening, of course, to WBAI New York ninety nine point five FM and streaming live on WBAI.org. Org. This is a special edition of Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. And our next guest is somebody we are very excited to have on the program. Uh, that would be Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California and candidate for President of the United States. Representative Swalwell is now serving his third term in the House. He's a member of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, he was a former prosecutor in the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, and he is the son and brother of law enforcement officers. He's also a founder of the Future Forum, a group of young Democratic members of Congress who focused especially on challenging facing, challenges facing young Americans, such as home ownership and student debt. Congressman Swalwell, it is a pleasure to welcome you to WBAI. Thank you. Thank you, Celeste. Nice to be on with you. Yeah, I know. It's been a little bit. I think the last time we talked in person was probably uh, I stopped by your office in Washington, but I see you've been keeping busy since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as if uh, judiciary and intelligence weren't enough to do and two kids under two, you know, I've <laughs> launched this campaign for president. So, uh, you know, my mom said when I was growing up, if you want something done, Ask a busy person to do it. <laughs> so for uh, for people here uh, who are listening to WBAI, obviously there are a lot of candidates to sort through out there. Uh, give us uh, give us a little picture here uh, of who you are and why are you actually running for president? Because, oh, my God, <laughs> I would not do it. I don't think I could do it, man. Well, you know, for seven years I've been in Congress and I've led the next generation of members of Congress across the country. And. I've also served on the House Intelligence Committee as we've weathered this attack on our democracy. And I've seen on issues from health care to access to college to gun violence that we're just solving these issues incrementally and just going gridlock to gridlock, smack down to put down to shut down. And I think the only way that we can get out of that is with a leader who's going to go big on the issues we take on and no more sweeping the big issues under the rug. Be bold with the solutions, so no more incrementalism, but actually boldly taking on these issues, and do good. And 
the way that we treat each other and the way that we govern, again, as a country. And I believe as someone who grew up living paycheck to paycheck, paying off student debt today, someone who brings experience in Washington and in Congress and can solve problems on day one, and someone who's just generationally optimistic uh, that I can deliver uh, on that uh, vision. So you've got important roles on the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. Uh, and what are your latest thoughts on President Trump, the Attorney General William Barr, and the Mueller report? Well, he's not above the law, and he certainly is running a lawless administration. And right now we see in, in real time he's you know, having, having his Attorney General and uh, his Treasury Secretary all you know, obstruct for him. And what's frustrating about that is, and we had a 400-page report from the special counsel that laid out numerous contacts between the president, his businesses, his family, his campaign, his transition, his administration, and Russians, and to best protect the country from something like this happening again or to understand if these threats are ongoing, we need to see the whole report. And the attorney general is acting as the president's lawyer and not as America's lawyer. And so I'm, I'm suggesting that we move to not only hold him in contempt, but move to impeach him so that we can better protect the country. And what do you think is the likelihood of uh, impeachment actually going all the way? A lot of people, I think, think about it, dream about it, perhaps. But uh, yeah. uh, what, what do you, what, what's the over-under on that? Well, it's never going to happen as fast as we like, and, and that's for, for good reason. You know, if, if we did Donald Trump justice, you know, Donald Trump and most of his team would already be impeached by now. But we don't do it that way. You know, we still follow and uphold the rule of law. So we're going to hold the attorney general uh, probably in contempt in the whole House in the next couple weeks. Uh, and then the Department of Justice uh, would have to decide you know, if they wanted to enforce that. Uh, and we could also seek a fine for every day that he does not turn over, you know, the Mueller uh, report uh, to us. But I also don't think that we should take off the table that same consequence you know, for Steve Mnuchin or, you know, the consequence of impeachment for the president. There has to be consequences when people believe they're above the law. And, you know, Celeste is someone who is in the middle of this one, two, three parenting method with my two-year-old every time he misbehaves. If I just let him run amok around the house, he's not going to get better. He's going to get worse. And I look at the president almost the same way. And there's a puppy involved in this, too, if I'm not mistaken. You also have a, pu a puppy involved in this. Thank you, uh... Thank you for reminding me of the, uh, the three-year-old black lab little puppy, Penny. Yes. Um, so uh, so speaking, speaking of kids, since you, since you bring it up, uh, uh, subpoena for uh, Donald Trump Jr., what, what, is, uh, what is your expectation on how that's going to work out? A lot of people talking about that right now. I know that's on the, the Senate side, right? But uh, certainly fits into the overall conversation. Yeah, it sounds like case not closed. You know, Mitch McConnell uh, doesn't sound like he was in touch with the chairman of the Intelligence Committee because he went to the floor and said that the case is closed on the Russian investigation, and clearly it's not. And, you know, again, this is what's so frustrating is that if you are 100% exonerated, then you 100% cooperate. And for Donald Trump Jr. to even suggest that he may not come in or the fact that they have to subpoena him because he won't work with them voluntarily is concerning because if they didn't do anything to betray America, then they should just come forward and cooperate with the people who are trying to protect America. And uh, 
sort of related to that, you know, some of this activity uh, took place in uh, Trump Tower, some of the things that have been gone over in the Mueller report, obviously a lot of the Trump businesses and things that uh, uh, Donald Jr. and his siblings would have been involved in also taking place here in New York. Um, New York has recently tried to make a move to help Congress get copies of the president's tax returns, which he is, uh, to, to my chagrin and that of every other reporter in New York, uh, not all that excited to uh, to hand over. Um, do you think there is there is this a good move? And is there anything else that you think can be done or should be done to get more transparency from the president on this? Well, you know, one that if, if you recall, the candidate Trump said he would turn over his return and he hasn't done it. Second, every president in the last 40 some odd years has turned over the returns and he won't do it. And now that we see this lengthy Mueller report, 200 pages of contacts between the Trumps and the Russians, and Mueller wasn't even able to look at the financial entanglement. That was clearly not a part of their investigation. We have good reason to want to know, you know what was in this president's you know, finances, especially considering the New York Times reporting that for 10 years, no person in America uh, during some of those years lost more money than Donald Trump, yet he somehow found a way to sustain uh, himself and live pretty high on the hog. So either he was living as a tax cheat, a bank fraud cheat, or some third party was assisting him. But there's a lot more questions that are raised uh, than answered. And, and I think that's all the more reason, uh, considering this report, that we should see those taxes. So we now have two dozen candidates who are running for president. What's going to differentiate you? Why, you know, why do you believe voters are going to come to you? Yeah, I, I think it's being a candidate who can incredibly say to voters in every state, I know why you work hard, and I know what you expect it to add up to. My parents dreamed for me to be the first in the family to go to college. They worked hard. That paid off. But on a journey like that, if you have your eyes open, you see all the people who are also working hard, but they don't see it adding up. They're not invested in the stock market. They're a part of the 80% living paycheck to paycheck. And I know that experience. I'm raising two kids, paying off student debt. We're working hard ourselves, and I want the benefits of that to pay off for everyone. So I think just being connected to the everyday struggle uh, of Americans uh, is going gonna, is gonna to have a payoff in this uh, candidacy. But also having the experience to know who our enemies are on day one. You know, being on the Intelligence Committee, uh, going to the war zones, meeting with foreign leaders, taking the classified briefings, I can defend this country. Uh, and people have seen me do that uh, in the last few years. And I'm still just optimistic about technology and investment and innovation in healthcare and in education that can make sure that hard work adds up, that healthcare doesn't eat up your paycheck, and that your kids can be ready for this next economy. And I think that's a three-legged stool of experience, optimism, and connected to the American people that has staying power in this race. One of the things that uh, people look at sometimes when they're sizing up presidential candidates, and by the way, again, if you're just joining us, this is Driving Forces, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming on WBAI.org. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz talking to Congressman Eric Swalwell, candidate for President of the United States. Um, 
so congressmen, a lot of people look at all sorts of attributes of a candidate. One of the things they look at is sometimes executive experience. They say, well, you know, maybe I'd rather vote for a governor than a legislator because this person has actually handled a budget or has hired and fired people and so on. Uh, for example, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, is considering a run for president. Uh, what do you think of the theory of executive versus lawmaker? And uh, do you invite Mayor de Blasio to, uh, to join the uh, campaign? <laughs> or do you think you should, you, he's, he's busy enough? Uh, absolutely, water is still warm, and you know I think different times call for you know different types of leaders. And I think right now, you know, we need a leader who understands you know why people, especially in disconnected parts of the country, uh, are you know feeling like there's not a lot of hope. And again, I grew up in a, I was born in the Midwest, married a Hoosier from the Midwest, educated in the South. Like I, I get this country, and I think I can pull it together uh, because I know why people work hard. But also, we're going to need. We're going to be in an era of reform the day after Trump. We're going to have to work collaboratively to put in place a lot of reforms so that what this president exposed through his corrupt ways never happens again. And again, you're going to need someone who's been in Washington, been on the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee. I can put in place and work in a Watergate, post-Watergate-like fashion to put those reforms in place so that we never see this mess of our democracy occur again. So uh, one of the uh, books that we're offering our listeners is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening by two, uh, co-ho- <laughs> two co-hosts, two, one from the left, one from the right, and how they can have uh, uh, conversations even when they disagree. And from what I had read about you, your parents have a magnet on your refrigerator, a Trump-Pence magnet. Tell me a little about the conversations you've had and how you navigate them. Well, I hope that magnet comes down soon. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I would describe my parents as uh, Reagan Republicans. I mean, they they really believe in you know smaller government. They don't want Democrats to waste their taxpayer dollars. They wanted us to have a strong, you know, national uh, defense. And you know, I, I, they are not. They certainly, I think, are closer to Democrats than a lot of the social issues. Those Reagan Republicans, I think, are going to be looking for a home in 2020 because we have a president who has isolated us from the world to take on our threats. That doesn't respect, you know, the role that NATO plays to you know, stand up against Russia. That doesn't respect the role that we need, uh, for, you know, the partnerships that we need to take on climate chaos by being in international treaties. And also someone who isn't going to rack up trillions of dollars in debt for tax cuts for the wealthiest. I mean, this president is adding, uh, you know, debt like it's one of his businesses for our federal government. And so I think I can actually appeal to a lot of those, uh, you know, Reagan uh, Republicans, uh, and especially or Reagan Democrats uh, as well. Now, is that is that in a general election matchup or is that once you get past the 20 other people, men and women, I was going to say guys, but men and women who are trying to get the nomination? I, you know, I'm running Celeste with the confidence that I don't have to change who I am from the primary to the general. And I'm going to run for the reasons that I think are right. And I think that connects to a crowded primary, but also one-on-one with Trump. And again, I think one-on-one with the president, you need somebody who isn't going to dismiss the people who are counting on higher wages, lower health care costs, and brighter future for their kids, but is able to dismiss the person who utterly fails to 
deliver for them. And again, I think it's a benefit to be the son of two Republicans, to be born in the Midwest and married to a girl who grew up with the Pences, uh, you know, in Columbus, Indiana. Like, I, I, I get the mindset on the other side. We're not going to be able to bring all of them over, but I think I can be a candidate that can appeal to them and inspire the 5 million people who didn't vote in 2016, who did vote in 2012. I, I feel confident stitching all of that together. And uh, in terms of the debate season coming up pretty soon, uh, what are your what are your predictions for that, everyone? I'm getting a lot of stressed out emails from a lot of campaigns <laughs> saying, well, we're worried about not making it on the stage or, you know, having watched the, and covered the uh, Republican debates when it was this, you know, so it's such a big field they had to have a kitty table, uh, <laughs> you know, the yep. last the last go. I mean, again, how do you how do you break out of just that pack? Well, we qualified, and I'm, I'm excited about that, that we will be in the first uh, debate uh, at the end of June in Miami. Mm-hmm. And, again, my, my, my approach there is, first, myself and the other candidates, we are a part of the Avengers. We're not a part of the Hunger Games. That was the Republican 2016 election. I think there's a wide acceptance that we have a job to do, which is to send forth a nominee uh, and beat Donald Trump and make the country better. I'm going to be offering a go big, be bold, do good candidacy. And again, I don't think you have to overdo it on the debate stage uh, to connect. I think you just have to be yourself. And I look forward to making that introduction to the 99% of the country who doesn't know me yet, uh, but who I hope will get to know me uh, along this journey. And uh, as, as we wind up, and you've been very generous uh, with your time, uh, as we wind up, Congressman, what am I looking for in the next few days or, or next week or so when it comes to House Judiciary and, uh, and Intel? What's the, uh, uh, where, where should I be focused in terms of, uh, you know, breaking news or, or something that might be unexpected? Well, I, I'm worried that this, this president... Uh, that report has not clearly rated him is starting to panic again and he's you know thumping his chest and, and it looks like he's trying to uh, you know put us into a conflict with Iran and you know Congress in the past has served its duty to you know have the power to declare war and you know as he gets us closer to that by moving carrier groups you know toward Iran and making statements about Iran, you know, Congress may have to act and put, you know, limitations on what this president, you know, can do. But the Republican Congress, uh, you know, since 2011 has not been up, you know, for that task. And I think, you know, this new Congress will want to make sure that with this very, very reckless uh, and childish president that we're not drawn into a another endless war in the Middle East. Well, maybe that's a maybe that's a good final question then, Congressman. Some people have been uh, saying or warning or speculating that uh, I don't know if this is based on on experience or something they saw on TV or something like that. But they're saying there there is an outside chance that this president is so anxious or so concerned about being reelected that he could actually get us into a military conflict mm. specifically for that purpose. Yeah. Is that is that like you've been watching too much late night TV or do you think that's a legitimate possibility? <laughs> well, I, I would say even if, if he was elected, if he was reelected and couldn't be reelected again, there's going to be that chance because of just, you know, the childishness uh, and the immaturity uh, that he has. And, and so he has not been able to address our threats in the world through alliances or through treaties. In, in fact, he rips up the treaties and he prays 
the alliances and it costs us more at home and what we have to spend on military, but also at what it exposes us to as far as risk of having to be in a protracted war. So, but again, we're not powerless anymore in the Congress. We have a new majority in the Congress and, you know, that majority will be a check against this president's uh, worst instincts. So Congressman Swalwell, how can our listeners learn more about you and your campaign? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Eric Swalwell, S-W-A-L-W-E-L-L, ericswalwell.com to learn more, or at Eric Swalwell um, on, uh, on most of you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and DMs are open. So we, uh, we like to engage, uh, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. Uh, it'll be just like talking with my family. That's where I saw, um, by the way, on your Twitter feed, uh, you had responded to someone where they were showing a woman uh, holding up one uh, a sign, and you're like, that wasn't my mother. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and me Thanks, here. Jeff. Thanks a lot. Of course. Right. Have a great Bye, day. Guys. Thanks, Congressman. Uh, again, you are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI. That was Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California. He's on House Judiciary, uh, the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and he's running for President of the United States. It's uh, uh, the first of, I believe, uh, many candidates that we are going to have. We stay positive here at BAI. Uh, a number of presidential hopefuls that we are going to be able to host right here on 99.5. Yeah, and I believe that you were at an event recently where you were kind of chasing one down the hall saying, I need you on WBAI. Yeah, and it worked, and it worked. So if you guys are listening, coming up uh, coming up <laughs> soon on the, the schedule, direct from her mouth, uh, United States Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, also a candidate for president of the United States, has agreed to come on Driving Forces right here. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, of course, we can only bring you all this programming. i got to say it one more time. We can only bring you this kind of programming, which is really cool okay i'm not even I'm, I'm not using the script here this is this is cool stuff and if you like independent non-corporate non-commercial media give us a call 516-620-3602 all the money that we get here to run this station build a new studio, bring you this programming. All that money comes from you. And I mean, not the guy next to you, not the guy across the street from you, you. If you are within the sound of my voice, 516-620-3602. If you want to start out with just a pledge of 10 bucks, 25 bucks just to get started, that's cool. And of course, if you want to come in, $50, $100, $500, whatever you can afford. But whatever it is, please pick up the phone 516-620-3602. It's always easy to say you'll do it tomorrow, and, you know, stuff comes up. Do it right now. Just go to WBAI.org. Hit the donate button. It will take you two minutes, and it will be well worth it to to take a stand in support of independent, commercial-free, listener-supported radio. And as we wrap up, because the news is next yes. with Paul. With Paul Drienzo. I know. That's another feature. We were running through some of the great programs that we have here. Uh, coming up right after us every week, the WBAI Evening News with Paul Drienzo. And again, you know, support us, support driving forces uh, as WBAI buddies. Give us a recurring donation. Keep this program on the air. If you like what we're doing and you like calling in and uh, tussling with us and uh, hearing our guests and uh, hearing us get people to tell interesting stories, just go to WBAI.org and check it out. It's called the WBAI Buddies Program. I'm a buddy. Jeff's a buddy. We are buddies.
See, I, I was just going to say, because I'm so busy, it's difficult for me to always find the time to contribute. So what I just do is I'm a BAI buddy yes. and I have the recurring donation comes right out, uh, goes right to my credit card each month. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I started small and then I've gotten a little larger and who knows? I'm And, and I did donate also to the More Than Mike's campaign because I yes. I really want that soundproof studio right down the hall. Oh, and I God. knew that we were, what, a little above $6,000? Yeah, we are to getting 10, closer. 000. I think about $3,000 away and you know what that's being done with the help of a lot of our supporters and a lot of our partners and once we get that studio in motion as a matter of fact uh, correct me if I'm wrong but as part of the more than Mike's campaign for your contribution of I believe $50 you could get a chance to not only help us build this station with better sound with better equipment with better phone lines you could come in and be present yourself for a live broadcast of your favorite WBAI program. Now, maybe it's Driving Forces, maybe it's Black Seinfeld. You know, it could be anything, but whatever it is. Or if you're an early riser with Juliana. Yes, Waking Up with Juliana Forlano. We have lots of programs, Democracy Now!, Joy of Resistance. James, our engineer, has a cool music program. James, pitch your program. Come on. Come on. Well, tell my the program people. has been on for a while. It's called Morning Ursae. And its regular slot is Friday morning from uh, 10 to noon. And I specialize in uh, basically scratchy records, records that sound like they've been cleaned with steel wool. <laughs> but this but, it's, but James, it's beautifully done. It That's, what That's why we play them, because the style is long gone. And it's not just that it's old for the sake of being old. It actually does sound different. And the approach to music and interpretation is a, a lost art in this particular uh, way. And James, we've been, Jeff and I have been on the air on this particular program since September. How long have you been with WBAI? I started in 1971. 1971. Yeah. I don't know if even Jeff was born in 1971. Uh, Jeff, were you? I, lo I love you for. I love you for that. <laughs> I was graduating college by that point. So 1971, and mm -hmm. the station has been around for what is it? 60, about 60 years now. Mm -hmm. It's been part of people's lives in New York for uh, about 60 years. And again, I cannot tell you, uh, people call up our program, they call up uh, as guests, as listeners, and they say, you know what, I am a BAI supporter. I have been listening to BAI. I love the programming. I get programs here that I don't hear anyone else. Please be one of those people. Please support WBAI. If you believe in non-corporate, non-commercial, independent programming, here's the number. 516-620-3602. This is the time. Don't wait. We have until the top of the hour to raise about 1200 bucks. 516-620-3602. Thanks for listening to Driving Forces today. This has been a special episode. You can catch us later on on the archives page, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and anywhere else you get your favorite audio programs. For WBAI, this is Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons. See you next week. Fiction is the closest home to prayer that you can get. Arundhati Roy, winner of the Booker Prize for The God of Small Things. She's also the author of The Ministry of Utmost Happiness and My Seditious Heart. Arundhati Roy is the keynote speaker at the Penn World Voices Festival, and we are offering WBAI Buddies free tickets. That's at 6 to 7.30 p.m. Sunday, May 12th, 
Mother's Day at the Apollo Theater, 253 West 125th Street in Harlem. And you can get free tickets if you are a WBAI buddy, if you're already a buddy, or if you want to become a buddy by calling 516-620-3602. Anyway, email tickets at WBAI if you would like a pair of tickets to hear and see Arundhati Roy. Join us on Father's Day weekend when WBAI once again serves as the media partner for the Great Hudson River Revival. This year's Clearwater Festival will be better than ever as we celebrate their 50-100. That's 50 years of sailing the sloop and the 100th birthday anniversary of Clearwater's founder, Pete Seeger. We'll be broadcasting directly from the festival at Croton Point Park on both Saturday and Sunday, June 15th and 16th. And if you go online right away, we have a limited number of discount tickets available courtesy of WBAI. Go to give2wbai.org. And you're listening to WBAI New York. Good evening. The president laughs when a supporter suggests immigrants be shot at a campaign event in Panama City, Florida. 